Okay, so I'm going to share the word with you uh, today from John chapter 12, but just uh, there are some people that, you know, might not know who I am. So my name is Justin, and I help oversee the children's ministry in the back. So usually I'm in the back with the kids. And um, so that's really fun. So I call you guys big kids. So I'm teaching the big kids today. And uh, a little bit more, you know, I have five children of my, my own, and I also am a school teacher. I teach uh, middle school math at Winman Junior High uh, in Warwick. So, so my life is surrounded by kids mostly. Um, so that's a good thing. Keeps me young, I guess. Uh, so last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Scott Mitchell from Calvary Chapel Rockland was here. He talked about the triumphal entry. And some good stuff there about um, Jesus fulfilling all those prophecies, which is really cool. It's, it's not an accident that he came. Jesus came, he fulfilled those prophecies, and that's, that's amazing. Um, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, they didn't, they didn't like it too much. They had hard hearts, so their hearts were hardened, and they resisted the work that God was doing through Jesus. And we, you know, I took away from that, we don't want to be like that. We want our hearts to be soft to God's work and what he's doing and be uh, moldable and flexible and, um, and follow him. And then I hope you didn't come here to see me today because after Patrick's message, right, we come to see Jesus. And so hopefully you leave here today having experienced, you know, just that, that idea. You know, we've come to see Jesus. That's why you're here today. Um, and, that's, and that's good. So open up to John chapter 12. So I just want to read the section first and then kind of go back and talk about the different parts. So John chapter 12, verse. we'll start in verse 20. Keep things in context here. So it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. All right, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, and I just pray your word would speak for itself today. 
Um, Lord, that you would let us go from this place being changed by your word. I pray that the things um, shared here would be from you. Anything not from you would just fall to the ground, and anything from you would just stick in our hearts and, um, and just change us, Lord, from the inside out. And so we give you this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this was his response to the Greeks coming and seeking Jesus. So, in some ways, it seems kind of like a, like a peculiar reply. If it was me, I might be like, yep, here I am. You know, you can see me. But he totally almost changed the subject. So, there's a couple reasons. Um, maybe it was because the, the Greek philosophy of that day was, you know, kind of like save yourself. So maybe Jesus shared this in response to just their way of thinking. Could be the timing. Maybe it was no accident. These were Greeks coming seeking Jesus, and now Jesus is ready to go to the cross. And he opened up the good news, the gospel, to all people, including Greeks. Maybe that's why. Uh, maybe it had something to do with to see Jesus. We need to identify with his death and resurrection. So it's not enough to just see in a superficial way to observe. Maybe there's something about, you know, following Jesus to the cross. There's an element of in order to see him, we have to die as well. We have to give our lives over to him. And because there were a lot of spectators who just kind of liked to follow the crowds and, you know, just kind of see the spectacle. So maybe there was something there. But either way, um, he, he changes the subject here and kind of talks about, about his coming death, his hour. His hour was coming, um, which is interesting because we have the triumphal entry. You know, everybody's celebrating. They, their Messiah has come. They, in some ways, are looking forward to him setting up his kingdom. And then Jesus kind of switches gears. He's, he's on the road to the cross. The cross is eminent. So he says, the hour, the hour has come. What hour? the hour of his, his death. Now, that's not a 60-minute period necessarily. It's a, um, you know, a term in reference to, to the cross, the crucifixion. So a couple times in John, Jesus said, my hour hasn't come. So in John 7, 8, um, he says, you go to the feast. I'm not yet going to this feast because for me, the right time is not yet come. In John 8, 20, when they tried to, says, tried to take him, you know, take him and kill him. It says, no one seized him because his time had not yet come. So this kind of shows us a couple things about God's timing. It's perfect. And as far as the cross, there wasn't an outside force that put Jesus on the cross. It was his time, his love, his purpose was fulfilled in the cross, but it was his plan all along, and the timing was in his hands. So now that here we're coming to the cross, and, and so Jesus knew the cross was, was imminent. Um, but I like his choice of words, and it, it's kind of interesting. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So he doesn't say to be crucified. He said, he said to be glorified. And I think this highlights a good point about perspective. So to, I mean, you can think about it. What appeared to be the worst thing possible for those maybe putting down the palm branches, Jesus coming, their kings coming, it looked the worst imaginable that their king, who they're looking for as the Messiah, now is going to be crucified. That would appear to be the worst possible case scenario. And if you think about the enemies of Christ, 
That would have been the best case scenario. Like get, put them on the cross, kill them, get rid of them. The Jews were, I'm sure, celebrating this, this event. So it kind of, I think, helps us in our lives. What appears to be the worst possible thing can, in fact, bring God the most glory. So I think something to keep in mind. So Jesus said, this, this, I'm going to be glorified. And if you think about it, without the cross, there would be no salvation. You and I would not have eternal life. And the power of sin and death still remains. And the extent of Jesus' ministry would have been that. His ministry on earth, you know, people getting saved, people, or people getting healed, um, feeding the 5,000. It would have been a, just a temporary sort of need fulfilled. But the cross allows us to have salvation. And as one commentator said, the multiplying of the redeemed was the magnifying of the Redeemer. So read that again. The multiplying of the redeemed, that's, that's us, was the magnifying of the Redeemer, that's Christ. So Christ was magnified in, this, in, this, in, this, in the cross, in his death and obviously resurrection. So in verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So who is the kernel? The kernel there that he's talking about is the kernel of wheat is Christ. And this is a what we call a paradoxical principle. It's paradoxical that we would think death is the way to life. So in order for us to have life, Jesus had to die. It was necessary for the harvest, speaking of seeds. So in a seed, it's just... You know, it's a seed. There's, you know, if you put it here on the podium, right, it would just stay like that. It wouldn't grow. It wouldn't produce fruit. In order to produce fruit, it has to be planted. It has to die. It has to be put in the ground. And then through that will produce uh, an exponential growth, you know, a harvest. So out of one seed can come a harvest. So we, in a way, are, we're part of that fruit. We're the fruit of Christ's death. We're the result of that. So again, another commentator, he put it this way. He said, the place where the greatest possible piece of service would be accomplished for the greatest possible number of people by the greatest possible person of all. That's Christ. And I think we can draw a parallel in Christian service. Anyone who is a part of ministry will know that in order for us to be fruitful for God, we have to get out of the way. We have to die. Our own image. It's not about our image. It's about we want people to see, as Patrick said last week, we want people to see Jesus. So when we're serving God, this is also a principle. The kernel of wheat must die. Our own sort of image and flesh must be put aside for God to produce fruit in us. So now I want to talk about your favorite subject, which is you. <laughs> My favorite subject is me. So this is, you know, so far we're talking about Jesus, and that's real good, but what about when, I, when, I, when, I, when we talk about us? What about us? Let's talk about the, the problem of self. So here we go. Verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world 
will keep it for eternal life. The man who loves his life will lose it. So, do you love life? How attached to this world are you? I think it's a good question, right? How attached to this world should we be? So, I think Jesus is really, really getting to, you know, not pulling any punches here. So let's talk about you, right? When you, where there's a picture in a group taken and someone puts it on the wall or someone shows, who's the first person you look for? <laughs> you, right? Is my hair looking weird? Am I dressed weird? Do I look young? Do I look old? Right? We, we have this, this natural gravitation towards ourselves. Who, who do we want in line first? Ourselves, right? When we're driving, who wants to be first? Right? Us. So we have this nature in us that's self-serving, self-promoting, and self-protecting. Like we, we, and I think you know, some of that is good, right? We don't want to like maim ourselves as we go throughout life, but it, it's something that we need to address. This is a problem, right? If we put ourselves first all the time, it's going to be a problem. And, you know, I work with children, so kids are kind of funny. The other day we had some visitors, and Genevieve, who's four, she's my four, or four-year-old, um, so we're sitting around, there's, you know, nine of us there, um, and she wanted to tell a story. So everybody has to listen to the story, and you know, kids, they're, they will, they're not afraid when they're telling a story to even, like, grab your face so that you're looking right at them. Because their story, you need to listen, right? And isn't that how we we are, right? We're we're very self-centered. And, you know, I work with kids in school. You know, you kind of see this with, you know, I teach math. And so it's very hard for them to sit in their seats and focus for an extended period of time because they're so trained to have immediate feedback all the time. It's immediate feedback. With video games and TV, it's immediate feedback, so they, they have trouble sitting still. They have trouble focusing. They have trouble denying themselves the pleasure of the moment to study and invest in, let's say, a future outcome that, you know, delayed gratification. You know, so that's the essence of a child. It's immature, right? Children think that, and we even, call, we have a term for it. We call it egocentric. Their ego, themselves, they are the center. Now, some of us don't ever grow out of it. And that's a problem, right? So that's what Jesus is, you know, he's addressing this problem of, of self. And so the principle of glory through death that Jesus is talking about himself also applies to us. Think about it. What's your primary purpose as a Christian? What's your prim- It's God's, gl- the gospel, essentially because it brings God the most glory. God is, should be glorified in our lives. God's purpose for you is not to be comfortable. And for me, is not to be comfortable. And sometimes we spend all our time trying to be comfortable when that's not really the, that's not, that wasn't the point anyway. God's glory is our primary purpose. And it's impossible for God to be glorified through me, through you, if we're on the throne. And you think about it. Like, think about the people who have made the most impact, thinking of Jesus himself, and then those who've made the most impact for Christ often face some of the most difficult trials, some of the most difficult suffering, 
Okay? Why is that? Because there's something about ourselves that has to, that has to die, has to get out of the way. Um, and it's hard to do that when we're on the throne of our own lives. So what's the solution? Well, one is a perspective. Whose are you anyway? Who, whose do we belong, who do we belong to? I'm not my own. And listen, when my life was a mess, I was totally fine with that, with God taking my life and owning my life. But then when he puts your life back together, don't we want to take it back? We want to take it back and, okay, oh, thanks, God. Now I'm going to spend my life on my own pleasures and my own purposes now that you've fixed my life up. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm going to take that right back. You know, that's how we are. We, it's, a, it's a daily process. So if I gave him my life when it was a mess, why should I complain with what he wants to do with it? Amen. You know, so we, we, can't, we want to go back on our agreement, right? And, and truly, my life was a mess. I, I, was, I became a believer when I was in 11th grade, and even by that time, I already had made such a mess of my life that I was like, God, take it, whatever you can do with it. So now anything that comes my way is, that's, that's a blessing is more than I had before. Um, so what, what he wants to do with it, it's his anyway. And, and even these things in life, the things we have, the things we own, the things we work so hard for, they all belong to him anyway. So we're, in a sense, a steward. So be careful how much we hold on to those things in this world. They're not mine anyway. They can be gone in an instant. As soon as they came, they, they can be gone. They're not mine anyway. So another important thing to know as, as a Christian, there's this, there's this idea of reckoning the old man dead, the old man. Okay, so we have this, this conflict. And um, Galatians 6.14, you don't have to turn there. Uh, there's a couple I'll ask you to turn to, but these I'll read quickly. Galatians 6.14 says, May I never, this is Paul speaking in the word here, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So there's a sense that the world should be dead to us. We're no longer, we've been saved out of the world. We've been taken from the world. We shouldn't love the things in the world or be caught up with the things of the world. They should be dead to us. We're crucified to it. They shouldn't captivate us. Okay, they're, 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 we decided Jesus saved us out of that world and, and even all the, the bright flashing lights and the entertainment of it all, it shouldn't, it shouldn't captivate us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I have been crucified with Christ. If I've accepted Christ, if I've you know, followed him, it's not just, you know, some people celebrating Lent right now. You know, and I get it. I, I understand you give up something. But it's not, it's not just giving up one thing and then you keep the rest of it. You, you get, it's all his, the whole thing. I am crucified with Christ. I've identified with his death and his burial and his resurrection. My life is not my own anymore. And so we have to understand that this has already taken place. This is the cross is there for us as well as Christ. It's already taken place, and now I have to reckon it so. I have to walk in what is already true. Romans 6, if you read Romans, Romans talks a lot about this dying to yourself or the, the old man. But Romans 6, 3, and 4, 
Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4, and then in verse 11 it says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And then in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we have an advantage in that our sin nature has been hung on the cross. We don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to yield to sin anymore. Jesus did the work for us. He set us free from sin and death. We don't have to go that road. We don't have to be close friends with the world. He's given us freedom from that. So, yes, we have to, you know, in a sense, work, and we have to take care of business, Um, but be careful not to put those needs, you know, don't put those needs in front of your spiritual needs, in front of your soul. You know, Jesus, uh, uh, he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? We can strive and struggle for these things, and in the end, lose it all anyway. Matthew 6, 31 through 33, we sing this song with the kids uh, every week. It's a, a scripture song we sing. Chapter 6, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, so, so yeah, we have to be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. Uh, we have to go to work and things like that, but the pagans run after it. And if, you, know, you can kind of see, you know, at work and when you're around people, what drives them, what motivates them. A lot of times it's those things in the world that, you know, that's all they're looking for. They're not looking to the next life. They're not looking to Christ. They're not looking for, you know, those spiritual needs. So if you hate your life, now does this mean, you know, people go around, it's like, I hate myself, I hate my life. Well, people who say that, in a way, they kind of love themselves because, you know, it's not really true if you go around and say, like, I hate, if you truly hated yourself, you know, you wouldn't treat yourself with such self-pity. You would, you would actually hate yourself. So people that say that, I think in a way it's, you know, you're still, you're kind of stuck in yourself a little bit. So hate, in a sense, it's that your love for Christ, your love for His kingdom, your love for His will is so great that compared to your relationship with the world, it's like hate. That's how much you, that's how much you love God. So we're just passing through, right? Where's your home? Where's your address? Right? It's in heaven. Hebrews 11 talks about the, it's the hall of faith, right? All those who have gone before us, who've uh, lived a, you know, a triumphant life in Christ, not all ended well on this earth. But what it does say about them in Hebrews, now I would like you to turn here. This is a great one to mark in your Bible. Hebrews 11, it's the hall of faith, as some call it. Chapter 11, verse 13. So 
you know, they go through a list of different people, Noah, Abraham, some others there, heroes of faith. Verse 13, and if you read, you know, in the Old Testament, you see, like, they had struggles. This life for them was not always easy. You know, like, like a Moses, you know, he gave up his life in Egypt, served on the backside of the desert, and then led a people, you know, the people of Israel who didn't often, you know, follow directions and, you know, do what they were supposed to. So, you know, he had kind of a tough gig on this, on this earth. But it says in verse 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Some versions say pilgrims. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay, so we're just passing through. So don't take too firm of a grip on the things that you have, the blessings you have, you know, that's great. Um, but don't hold them too tightly. Um, so back to verse, back to John, verse 26. So whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So he who serves me must follow me. Now, Jesus, again, he was coming from the triumphal entry. He was 33 years old. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. In an earthly sense, in a worldly sense, we would say, oh, he's, he's at the, you know, this is it. He's going to take the world by storm. He's going to set up his kingdom. And then what happened? He, he was crucified, which was his will, which is his plan, which was part of our being saved, which many didn't see at the time. So he's our example, and we should follow in that footstep, in his footsteps. And in many ways, many of the disciples did follow in these footsteps. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, it says this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we shouldn't live for ourselves, and Jesus didn't, and we shouldn't. But it's a daily process, isn't it? So Romans 12.1 talks about the living sacrifice. So each day when we, when we wake up, it's a, it's, a, it's a discipline of saying, my life is yours, God. My life is on the altar. And it's a living sacrifice, I believe, because we like to squirm and crawl our way out, off of that altar instead of giving it over to him. So we are a living sacrifice. So following Jesus is a, is a trust thing. You know, can I put my life, can you put your life in his hands? Can we trust him to direct us and plant us where he wants us? A, a pastor of mine from, you know, a while back, he used to 
say this prayer, Lord, I'll go wherever and do whatever you would have me to do. And is that our prayer? I'll go wherever and do whatever you would have me to do. And I've prayed that quite often with kind of the intent that maybe God would have me be a missionary or maybe God would have me, you know, go somewhere or do some great thing for his kingdom. But in my life right now, that means being where I'm at and staying where I'm at and being faithful. So sometimes that living sacrifice is just being faithful in what you're doing, being a teacher. That, in a lot of ways, is dying to myself because children can be very frustrating sometimes. <laughs> and they test your patience. And, you know, your job, it's the same way. You know, it, every day is a sacrifice for you. You know, when you wake up and you go to work or you wake up, you're taking care of kids. If you're a mom, if you're a dad taking care of kids, if you're, um, you know, it's not just the preacher or the pastor or the missionary that has to do this. This is for all of us as Christians, following Jesus in our job, in our daily lives, is a sacrifice. And it's small decisions to lay down your own life for somebody else. Small decisions. I mean, what is love, if you think about it? Our culture, our world has really ruined that term, love. You know, you fall in love, and then you fall out of love. Right? Well, love is, is in essence, a denying yourself. It's a dying to your own desires. It's putting your life on the altar as a living sacrifice. And that's, I think that's what Jesus is, you know, part of what he's saying here. He laid it down for us. Okay? And love in your marriage, you know, it's a choice. It's a choice. It's not always a feeling. It's a choice. And when you make that choice, what often happens with me... Um, maybe you too, when you actively make that choice, the feelings will follow later. They don't, the feelings aren't always there, just like when we come and we serve God, we come to church. You know, you don't always feel it in the moment. You don't always feel God's presence. His presence is there, but you don't always feel it. Sometimes it's an act of the will. It's a choice. Love is like that. I choose to serve my wife, and then maybe through that process, the feelings follow later. So it's an act of the will, it's an act of service, it's an act of trust, it's an act of surrender. Okay, so maybe you're right where God wants you. Maybe you're right where He wants you. He's planted you right where He wants you. Maybe it's not a missionary. Maybe it's not, you know, you're not going to go overseas or something like that. Maybe it's you're right where He wants you. And that takes faith and that takes denying yourself. Because it might not be that exciting. You know, it might not be that glamorous. And this is also prophetic, like I said, for the disciples, because many of those did, many, many of the disciples did follow Jesus. If you read, if, um, if you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, only one of the disciples wasn't martyred, as history, you know, will, will tell us. Uh, John was the only one who wasn't martyred. The rest of these folks... They did follow the way of Jesus and they laid down their lives. And I got to be honest, I feel like when you read books like that, I feel like a lightweight compared to some of these Christians around the world and, and even who have come before. And so that makes that it's very humbling to me that these guys gave up, men and women, gave up their lives for, for Christ. They were able to put it on, on the line and they died for their faith. And it was said that Peter wouldn't even be crucified right side up. He was crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he even was worthy 
of that honor to be crucified like Christ. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, it's just crazy. And you know it wasn't them. It was God's grace in them to give them the strength to do that. And I pray I'd have that strength if that ever happened. And the boldness and the courage to do that. Many other famous Christians that you read about. And I'd encourage you to read you know, these biographical accounts because it does make us feel like the things we worry about in our lives very minuscule, uh, very uh, kind of pathetic. <laughs> I don't mean when you read about them, but it does encourage us that, hey, a great cloud of witnesses has, have gone before, you know, and we're growing and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're where we're at and we're, we're growing and we can continue to grow. So what's the reward? What's the reward? What's the reward? My Father will honor the one who serves me. So the reward is his own, his own presence. He says, whoever serves me, you know, there I'll be. Where I am, my servant will also be. So his presence, his will, knowing you're in the will of God, there's nothing like that. And if you've experienced that, you know what I mean. Being in the will of God, there's nothing that can compare. Even when the will of God is a challenge and a struggle, you sense his presence in the midst of that struggle, and there's nothing quite like that. Like you feel like you can face it. You feel like you can go through that because he's with you. And, you know, it's a, it's a trial, but knowing you're in the will of God, the worst, and I've been in this place, I've had all the comforts of the world, but known I wasn't in the will of God, and that's miserable. And so compare that to, you know, those situations, I compare that in my own life. It's not worth it. It's not worth all those comforts to be miserable being out of God's will or out of his presence, out of his, not out of his presence because he's always there, but in that fellowship. I think we give up that fellowship. What is eternal life that you may know? God, that's eternal life. So those, those are the rewards. And if we think about rewards, you know, I help coach the wrestling team. You know, they work, the kids work very hard all year and they might get to the end and they win states and they might get a trophy. They might get their picture taken. They might get a medal. And that's, and I get it. You know, it's part of the reward for hard work and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's a perspective that that only lasts so long. The glory of man fades. The glory man gives us these awards, these plaques, the hall of fame. Maybe you even get a statue in the end, it only lasts so long, it fades. So man's glory fades. The crowd that loved Jesus, that, that put down the palm branches, that cried Hosanna, that crowd was the same crowd that was part of the crucifixion. The crowd can change. Don't live for the crowd, live for the audience of one. That's Christ, his honor. And sometimes it's in that quiet place in your heart where you just know that you know, God sees and he's with you and he's, and he's, God's pleased by your life. You know, that secret, just admiration sort of from the father of, you know, I'm with you. I'm here for you. I'm seeing you through this tough time. You know, that's what we want. We want the honor and eternal rewards that are his. And we might not see those on this, on this earth. They might not show up here and that's okay. Matthew six nineteen through 21 Maybe you know it. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in what ways can we serve him? As it said there, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant will also be. So what are the ways we're serving? Maybe you're already doing it. You know, like I said, getting up every day, going to work, that's a denial of yourself. You're serving your family. You're serving his kingdom. Maybe you're using the funds, the money you're making to bless ministries around the world. That's part of what we can do. Like I said, a daily reckoning. One prayer that I like to pray that I think is, is, has helped me is, Lord, be on the throne of my heart today. Be on the throne of my heart. I got to get, get, get out of the way because me, it's very easy for me to take over and want things for me to be comfortable and, and everything else. So that, that's a good prayer for me. How about giving time? In prayer. Giving time in prayer is a real self-denial because time is something I think we all struggle with. We don't have time. I don't have time for it. But giving time in prayer is a, is a labor of love. It's, it's an act of, I don't know about you, but my will. I don't always feel like praying. I don't always feel worthy to pray. I don't always feel like I have something, you know, like great words to say. But it's, an, you know, when I find that the blessing often comes you know, after the fact, when you see God work in your life, you know, when you see him answer your prayers, that's encouraging. But it takes a little bit of faith. It takes a little bit of denying yourself. Serving our brothers and sisters, bearing one another's burdens, that takes denying ourselves. You know, in our jobs, right, we might be passed up for a promotion because we are serving him and doing the right thing, being people of integrity, and we kind of suffer through that um, and that can be painful. But the world says, do what feels right. You can just bail out whenever you want. You know, that's not the way we should be, you know, as believers. So serving Jesus might not get you that recognition in this world. But know that he sees and he's going to honor you in ways, you know, personally in your quiet time or in your, you know, your own sort of relationship with him. Maybe not in this life. Maybe those are eternal rewards. Now, verse 27, Jesus goes on and he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus' heart is troubled. Now, in a sense, yeah, he was, he was going to die physically, but also there's um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin for us. So he became sin he took all of the sin, every one of our sins, sin from around the world, from throughout time, it was put on himself. So it was very much a, um, a separation from the Father, a, a spiritual death in a way, as well as physical. Um, you know, God the Father turned, turned away. You know, Jesus, who was no sin, became that sin. I mean, could you imagine? So he kind of sees this coming, and he's, you know, it's, this hour is coming, and he's, you know, troubled. Now, trouble is not the same as, you know, an unwillingness to, to go through with it because he says, as he says there, for this very reason I came to this hour. And you know, in the garden, Jesus sweat drops of blood. He was that, he was in anguish over it. And he said in the end, not my will, but your will be done. And I think Jesus is a great example 
of the two options we face with these kinds of struggles. We can say, Lord, save me, take me out of it. And Jesus could have said that. He didn't have to die. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he said in the end, Father, glorify your name. And so he went, he went through with it, as we know. And that's, I think, our choice too. Father, glorify your name. In my suffering, and my trials, whatever they are, before I ask for God to save me, maybe a better prayer is, Father, what, in what way do you want to be glorified through my life? Through this suffering, through this pain. And God will do it. So it's a choice we have. And he'll give, he'll give his grace in the midst. And then we go on and we see that there's a voice from heaven that said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So this audible voice from heaven, there are three times this happened. Um, in Matthew 3.17, when Jesus was baptized, the voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In the, sort of like the middle of the ministry there. Matthew 17.5, says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's at the transfiguration. And now again right here. So the Father is confirming the life and ministry of Jesus. The Father was in fact perfectly glorified through Christ's life, and through his death. In verse 29, the crowd that was there had heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus said this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Verse 31, now is the time for judgment on the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Who's the prince of this world? It's the devil. So this, the cross, was the means by which Jesus overcame sin and death. Now in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 15, read that for you. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus' death on the cross defeated the devil. And there's some of this defeat, you know, this is yet to come. There's a future, in Revelation 20.10, there's a future experience of this. Jesus will be thrown into, the, I mean, uh, the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. So at this time, there's still an element of, of, that that hasn't happened yet. But we're on the winning side. We're on the winning team if we've submitted our lives to Christ and we're part of his kingdom. Eventually, the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 32, Jesus said, But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So when Jesus was lifted up, he was crucified. And he would draw all men to myself. So all men... You know, no matter what nationality, Jewish, Greek, you know, Gentile, it's made available. The, the, the gospel is available to everyone. So he's, and it's interesting that it seems so clear to me that this is the, you know, the, the cross, the crucifixion, yet people still didn't get it. Isn't that interesting? They still did not understand that Jesus had to die. They didn't, they didn't get it. So this begins Jesus' road to the cross. And the, the road to glory and honor often goes by way of the cross. And it's, it's that way for Jesus. It's the same for us. Now the reward for 
identifying with Christ, with his death and resurrection. Okay, the benefits outweigh the benefits of serving this world. So we have two choices. We can serve this world, we can serve ourselves, or we can serve his kingdom. Okay, and the, the benefits of serving his kingdom, fellowship with him, the joy of knowing others are impacted for his kingdom and ultimately eternal rewards. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, um, God. Sometimes it's it's a it's a it's a sharp word. It's it divides even the bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And Lord, we're in great need of death to ourselves, death to our own dreams, our own ambitions, our own plans. Uh, we're in need of of you, Lord. We're in need of your plan for our lives. We thank you that you took our lives when we couldn't do anything with them, and you are doing a work in them. Lord, help us to reckon that old man dead, the, the, the self-life. God, we as believers should not look like those in the world with, with you know, being selfish, being self-centered. Lord, we just pray that we would, we would be different, that we would glorify your name through our lives, uh, which, which are walked and lived in by your strength and by your power. Lord, we pray for this church as a, as a body. You would help us to be able to learn just how to be trained, Lord, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you, Jesus, daily. We thank you that, Lord, we're on the winning side, and someday, Lord, through your, through your death and resurrection, someday the enemy will be thrown into the lake of fire. And until then, help us to stand firm, even in the face of trials, even in the face of persecution. We do pray for our brothers and sisters around this world who really have to give up a lot to walk with you and be identified with you. And so show us how we might uh, support them and, and just be less selfish, Lord. So we just uh, pray as, again, we lift up Tommy to you. We lift up Sandy to you. We lift up those in our congregation who, you know, are struggling with, you know, illness and physical pain and things like that. Lord, just bless them, help them to be able to say, Father, glorify your name, even through that suffering, Lord, just help them to do that. That is, all our, that is our goal as believers, Lord, to, to be able to say that, and uh, just that you would be lifted up in our hearts, lifted up in our lives, exalted, that you would be on the throne of our hearts, Lord, um, not our way, but your way. So go before us, Lord, help us to seek you and serve you in all that we do here today, and we love you and we thank you uh, for your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you guys.